This is not a test. This is not a test. Please remain calm. Unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. Seeking human victims. Tonight, we return to the realm of Dracula, but actually not at all. It's more like the realm of Countess Elizabeth Bathory, even though that was not her name in the film, and uh, this was nothing but a fictional portrayal, according to the disclaimer at the beginning. Uh, But the movie was still called Countess Dracula from 1971, starring Ingrid Pitt. And it is a murderous affair. And it's our episode this week on The Vampires of Hammer, season 18 of the Seeking Human Victims podcast. I am your host, the devil you know, the high priest of the Coven of the Goat, the Rev Dan Wilson. And I am here with my fellow... Uh, fuck, I don't know. I, I didn't have a witty thing to call you, but Dreamboat Annie. I'd rather have you as you are than see you parading yourself like some jaded young slut from the whorehouse. At least there's dignity in age. Ouch. I'm sorry for not having a witty quip. <laughs> and Return it to the show, the Jackal of Carlsberg, Big Daddy Grizz, Jason Grizzle. But not as fine a pair as these, eh? <laughs> this is going to be a good one. And rounding out the cast, the one, the only, the great, Muji. Countess, your husband promised me work. My wife and boys are starving. He promised. He promised. Devil woman. Yeah, this one was uh, a hoot, if you couldn't tell. Uh, Definitely not my first viewing of this one. Not, I've seen it a bunch. Like, I, you know, I've seen it three, four, maybe five times in my, in my day. But it is a favorite. It is, it's like always been a favorite so spoiler on the final thoughts because like i i can't imagine a world where another viewing is gonna make me like it less but stranger things have happened what about y'all i thought i hadn't seen this movie then when i started watching it i recognized it instantly but i have no idea when or where i saw it i uh definitely haven't seen this movie before now so big surprise but you know First time. I've seen this movie a lot. I uh, own the Blu-ray. I once owned a DVD. There was a time when I was going through my kind of original discovery of Hammer movies that weren't Dracula movies um, a few years ago where I saw, you know, Ingrid Pitt. I was like, hey, man, I'm going to buy all the movies with her. (laughs) So, yeah, I've seen this a lot. Right on. Well, 
We'll dig on in to Countess Dracula here in just a little bit. But before we do that, of course, what we're going to do is welcome yet another musical guest to the show. And uh, you want to pay very special attention to this musical guest in particular. Uh, just uh, just know that the, the Covenant of the Goat might have something to do with Mud Show in 2024. I don't know what that could be. I'm just throwing it out there into the ether. But Grizz, take it away. Horror Pain Gore Death Productions presents Destiny, the debut album from Memphis, Tennessee's ultraviolet sludge metal sadists, Mud Show. Destiny is a concept record telling the story of Matt Tremont's explosive and blood-soaked feuds with Atsushi Onita and Ricky Shane Page, and is heavily indebted to a season of hell by 19th century French symbolist poet Arthur Rimbaud. Destiny explores the themes of martyrdom, exile, and revenge of killing your idols and healing old wounds, even if it means opening new ones. For fans of Neurosis, I Hate God, Primitive Man, 3-6 Mafia, Kaiju Films, and classic hardcore deathmatch wrestling, here is Mud Show with Thunder, Fire, Blood.
The Coroner's Report. Okay, Countess Dracula. Let's talk about it. It's directed by Peter Sasty, who was a well-known British director. He had numerous television credits uh, with the Nigel Neal scripted Stone Tape and a lot of horror films for Hammer, including this film, of course, but also Taste the Blood of Dracula from 1970 and Hands of the Ripper from 1971, another underrated Hammer film. Um, That's right, they actually did a Jack the Ripper Hammer film, and it's pretty sick. Um, Sassy directed the 1960s TV series Weathering Heights, The Tenet of Wildfell Hall, and The Spoils of Poynton for BBC TV. He also directed several early episodes of the hit TV series Minder and earned a Razzie Award for his direction of the 1983 film The Lonely Lady. He fucked the Razzie Awards. Uh, He directed three different adaptations of Sherlock Holmes stories. Uh, the illustrious client, the first episode of the 1965 BBC series, C series, starting starring Douglas Wilmer as Sherlock Holmes and Nigel Stock as Doctor Watson. He was also in one episode of the case of the blind man's bluff of Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson from 1979 to 1980. Uh, he directed Welcome to Blood City for Warner Brothers. That's perhaps the first cinema release movie in the virtual reality genre. And from 1985 to 1987, he directed the Thames television production of The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, age 13 and three quarters. Uh, he also produced and directed Kingsley Amos's Ending Up for Thames TV, which starred John Mills, Wendy Hiller, and Michael Hordum. Uh, the music was done by Harry Robertson, who was a Scottish musician, a band leader, a music director, and a composer. He worked as a musical director on British television shows in the 1950s and 60s and also arranged for theater shows and films and, of course, uh, a lot of Hammer Productions. It was not his only Hammer foray. Special effects for Countess Dracula were done by Bert Luxford. He was a seasoned effects artist who worked on many Hammer Productions in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, He was involved in Dracula, The Curse of Frankenstein, and The Mummy. The effects in this, pretty, there's a couple pretty good kills in this, honestly. Like, for especially for the time, for 71. Um, you know, we hadn't go, quite gotten to Texas Chainsaw Massacre yet. And uh, this is also the typically more conservative, in some ways, at least, England. Uh, but... They were not afraid to uh, to get a little violent in these movies. The stabbing in the neck with the sewing needle kill in particular was uh, a favorite of mine in this. It was pretty horrifying. Yeah, I thought that one was good. Um, you know, a lot of the kills in this were just, uh, you know, either pretty simple or kind of like off screen. But, um, you know, the stuff they did show us I thought was good. Um, you know, some of the, the effects are more of like the uh, just like the, you know, in general blood, like the bloodbath and stuff was all pretty awesome looking. Yeah. And the um, the constant back and forth on the aging, too, and like the progression every time she would revert back to old and like she, like which is mentioned, you know, in the movie, but like that it gets progressively worse. But it's like subtle for a while, which takes skill. All right, well, let's talk about the cast. Of course, we had Ingrid Pitt 
as Countess Elizabeth Nadasdi is what she was called in this. But um, not not Bathory yet. The name is used in the film later. We'll talk about that. Go back to our episode on the Vampire Lovers to learn more about Ingrid Pitt. She was a Hammer mainstay and a total badass in so many ways. Uh, as you, you learn in the auditorium of that episode, she's just really had a, quite a, a take on all of her dealings with Hammer and everything. But uh, here, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, she's great. Obviously, you know, her being, you know, an all-time good-looking person is part of, you know, her character and, you know, what helps her. But she also just has, like, a real charisma. Um, you know, anytime that she's on the screen, she's just good. And uh, I really love the uh, this movie. The fucking name sounds like a fucking bad joke that you would make where they're like, is this about Elizabeth Bathory? They're like, no. Well, what's her name? You're like, Elizabeth? And you're like, what's her last name? Is it Bathory? You're like... No, it's not Bathory. It's the nasty. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought Ingrid Pitt was just very powerful in this movie. She she commands a lot of screen time. She's basically playing dual roles. I mean, not really, because she's, like, deceiving, you know. But uh, when she goes from young to old, like, there is that the whole range where she's, you know, pulling off kind of an, an angry, bitter old crone versus a, a bubbly young lady. Um, and, uh, it, it's, I just really enjoyed that dynamic. Yes. She was able to pull off like, and now obviously, um, it says, you know, that her voice was dubbed, uh, for, I would assume the Elizabeth portion. Um, but I actually didn't like, I didn't clock that. I did clock some of the other dubbing. So like a good job loop team on this by the way um but she still was able to embody like the physical mannerisms of like you said an old bitter uh jealous old lady but then also be a vivacious young woman out about town riding on her pony um and you know she did both really well and we had nigel green as captain Dobby, Doby, Dowby, Doobie. They pronounced his name about 10 different ways in this movie. Uh, but he was a famous English character actor known for his strapping build and commanding height. He was around 6'4". And his uh, regimental demeanor, due to that, he would often be found playing military types or men of action. He was in such classic 1960s films as Jason and the Argonauts, Zulu, Tobruk, and the Ipcris File. I think Captain Doby was actually probably the most well-developed character. Uh, I think he definitely had an enjoyable performance, but I think he was the most interesting. And, you know, there, at no point do you believe he's a good guy, but he's got his motivations and he's quite clear about them. But he's a little devious towards the Countess as well. So all in all, I thought he was interesting. Yeah, he was um, He was a lot of things. He was a cuck. He uh, really... Um, he really foresaw the the happenings of the uh, of now, where he was like really against her, trying to look young. He was basically like, "Don't use that lip filler; like it's gonna get worse every time you do it." <laughs> like every time that she got young, he wasn't into it. He just wanted the um, you know, the fucking old ass version. That's, that's all he wanted. 
Oh, yeah. He was, like, super blunt about it at one point. He was like, don't you know every time it wears off, you get uglier and uglier? Have you not looked at your face, you gross ass? But, I mean, I still let you hit. I'm just saying. Then he tells her straight up, you keep this up, you're going to go crazy, and then they're going to hang you. And that's exactly what happens. I mean, he, he wasn't wrong. Yeah, no, I thought he was awesome. Uh, you know, just, like, very complex character, a bit of a potster at times. Because, like, you know, he's he's got this thing that he wants out of this. And, and it's like, I don't know, like, I, I enjoyed him a, <laughs> quite a bit. And, yeah, like like Grizz said, you know, oh, well, he, he predicted it. But, yeah, and what Annie was saying it was like, look, you get more hideous every single time. I fucking love it. <laughs> and then uh, we had... Sander Ellis, I thought I'm maybe pronouncing that right, as Lieutenant Emery Toth. Emery Toth, I think. Uh, he was in the thriller And Soon the Darkness from 1970. That's one of his most memorable roles. He also had a lot of hammer roles. Uh, he was in The Evil of Frankenstein, in addition to Countess Dracula, as well as appearing for four years. Uh, in the TV soap opera Crossroads, which was a pretty popular 80s, 80s British soap. This is the one, this is the, so uh, Emery Tote, Sir Emery, Lieutenant Emery Tote wears a, a hat in this, in this movie. And uh, I have, I have a theory that um, possibly unbeknownst to the director, um, he was secretly making his hat larger every time he appeared on screen because uh, this thing got ridiculous. Um, but uh, he did. He was he was I thought he did a really good job um, of playing the uh, the tricked, I guess. He was he just wanted a better future for himself. Yeah, that that fucking hat. Um. <laughs> And then we had Maurice Denham as Grandmaster Fabio, the castle historian. He was an English actor who appeared in over a hundred films and TV programs in his long and illustrious career. And not one of them was as Santa Claus in Ernest Saves Christmas. But you could have fooled me because his voice just was like so striking. I was a hundred percent sure it was the same guy. And in a rare moment... The Rev was wrong, folks. It's true, because um, I was like, he, he just seems so familiar. Like, that he, I was like, I, I, I feel like he's played Santa in a movie. And so he, and, and so Dan was like, uh, oh, I think it's it was the Ernest, Ernest Saves Christmas. And so I, I scrolled really far back in the history of film uh, through, through his filmography. And I actually couldn't find where he played Santa Claus one time. And I really feel like that's a missed opportunity because he's got such a classic, like, real-life Santa vibe. He did have a lot of, like, real wizard delivery. Um, right. Like, what well, I mean, like, it's, like, not like a the, like the cartoony type, like, ho-ho-ho, mall, mall type Santa. It's, like, more like... Uh, the type of Christmas movie where you meet that like super kind old man that's very unassuming and it turns out that he's Santa because <laughs> he's magic. That's why I thought it was the Santa for Murder Saves Christmas. I was wrong. We shall not dwell on it. Uh, then we had P 
Patience Collier as Julie Zentes, the nurse. She appeared in a lot of stuff. She was in uh, Third and Secret, or I'm sorry, The Third Secret from 1964. Decline and Fall of a Bird Watcher from 1968. I'm sure that's riveting. Baby Love from 1969. House of Cards from 1969. Perfect Friday from 1970. Every Home Should Have One, 1970. Fiddler on the Roof from 1971. This film. Endless Night from 1972, The French Lieutenant's Woman, and appeared in the TV series The Avengers in several episodes. Uh, she also played the Elizabeth I in the 1978 TV series Will Shakespeare. I feel like Will this woman was grown in a lab just to play a medieval nursemaid. <laughs> you, you have such a point, Grizz. Like, is she just the one they have on standby when they need a medieval nursemaid? Is she an actual nursemaid and, like, all the Hammer staff just knew her from nursemaiding and, you know, they just keep her around for such? Could be. Maybe they, uh, they left it in, in like, they... Like in the will, and they're like, she shall have a home at Hema for the rest of her days. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. And then uh, we had Leslie Ann Down as Ilona, the daughter of Countess Bathory. I mean, Nadasdi. Um, she was a famed British actress, singer, and model. She made her big screen debut in the 1969 drama The Smashing Bird I Used to Know. <laughs> What a great title. And later appeared in films Assault, 1971, and Pope Joan in 1972, in addition to Countess Dracula. She also achieved fame as Georgina Worley in the ITV period drama Upstairs, Downstairs, from 1973 to 1975. She was really going through a lot of shit out in that barn slash hut, whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, you, you don't really get a peep at her much until the end. But, you know, she just play a crucial role in the downfall of the Countess. And then we had Peter Jeffrey as Captain Bailoff the Bailiff. Uh, he was in the Avengers as well as the new Avengers and the Ab- Abominable Dr. Fibes or Phoebes. I'm uh, not sure how that's pronounced. He reprised his role in that movie, though, in 1972, Dr. Dr. Fibes. Rises again, and then we had Leon Lissick as Sergeant of Bay. Oh, what, Grizzly? You about to? Then we can talk about he and the sergeant together because it's like they're just the most useless cops ever. And <laughs> yes, I've seen the original Black Christmas. They're more useless than those cops. It's like, oh, there's a killer about the castle. Why don't you all stay in the castle? <laughs> okay. It sounds like a solid plan. Yeah, they 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 go up there in like the Halloween Five, you know. Just shitty cop Hall of Fame. He was in a lot of stuff. Time Bandits. The Unbearable Likeness of Being. Nicholas and Alexandra and the Horseman. He was also known for his small screen roles. The Sullivans and EastEnders. And then the rest of the cast. We're we're just going to run through real quick. We had Jesse Evans as Rosa. Terry's mother. Andrea Lawrence as Ziza, the whore at Shepherd's Inn. That was her actual title in the role. Don't come at me. Uh, Susan Broderick as Terry Chambermaid. Nike Arihi. Her name is Nike. Wow. Uh, as the fortune-telling gypsy girl. Marianne Stone as Kitchen Maid. 
Charles Farrell as Seller, and Stally Brass as the pregnant woman, Michael Cadman as young man, Ian Trigger as clown, Alex Greenland as choir boy, and Julia Baboos as one of the dancers, one of many, or like four, one of them got killed. Uh, but yeah, that rounds out the cast for Countess Dracula. Shooting dates and locations. It was primarily filmed in Pinewood Studios, the famed Pinewood Studios in Ivor Heath, Buckinghamshire, England. Also had some stuff shot in Spain. It's estimated to be shot from July to September 1970, shooting about six to eight weeks. Not much about that otter interesting, but they did some pickup shots in Spain. But we're going to work with what we got and go ahead and open the door to the auditorium. Strange truths and morbid curiosities will be revealed inside the auditorium. When asked how she got the lead role, Ingrid Pitt said, well, I decided the best way to get into the role was to round up a few virgins and try out the efficacy of their blood before starting the picture. Unfortunately, the extreme difficulty encountered in my search for virgins made this impossible, so I winged it. And the Countess, I once spent the night in a, in a castiche castle in Romania to satisfy the state of sadism of a cackle of journalists. I now fully understand her quest. The castle is so cold and depressing, I was willing to do anything to break the monotony after a couple of hours. The ever-cheeky Ingrid Pitt. Every quote that we ever read from her just makes her sounds like she was the best. Yeah, like absolutely the coolest. And of course, uh, the opening credit says the characters and incidents portrayed and the names used herein are fictitious and any similarity their names, characters, or history or any person is entirely accidental and, uncon- and uh, unintentional. I'm wondering, like, were they afraid they were going to get sued by the Bathory estate? Like, I mean, how fucking far removed are we here? Like, fuck, what was the point? Especially when... Later in the movie, they're like, the, the batteries are all witches. Like, they say that. It's like, oops, they forgot about that part. Maybe Bathory was supposed to be your maiden name. Well. <laughs> I just figured, like, you know, due to the rise of communism, all the lesser nobility of Europe kind of fled west to Paris and London. So maybe the Batheries were tooling around London at the time. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you would think, like, Elizabeth Bathory was, like, a couple hundred years before this, so... Okay, know. hang on, hang on, Muji. I have it right here. From 1560 to 1614. Allegedly yeah. for the deaths of approximately 600 virgin girls, all of which involve torture and gruesome methods of killing. Her atrocities are mostly speculation. She is credited for influencing our modern-day concept of Dracula as an entity depending on human blood... For youth and vitality. So it's kind of cool that they went to the one of the inspirations for Dracula instead of uh, an actual rehash of Dracula. Oh, man. And they, I wonder if the thing at the beginning was like supposed to be like cheeky, like, haha, this isn't actually about her 
because um, just looking at random Bathory facts, um, her husband's last name was Nadasdi, so it's the name from the movie. So like that would have <laughs> that would have been like her married name, or at least that's her husband's name. So uh, yeah. So Bathory was her maiden name. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how it worked back then if they actually changed their legal names or not when they got married, you know, in Hungary during that time. But her husband's last name was Nadasdi, so. It had to be like a wink or something like, haha, this isn't about, you know, them. Well, even um, the, the picture that hangs in the opening credits is a picture of the real Countess Bathory, a painting from 1896. Annie, you were about to say something? I was going to say that women definitely took their husband's last name during that period, considering they were essentially considered property. So, yeah, I would assume that was probably her name. Now, were Bathory because you know like maybe she had multiple husbands and one of them was a Bathory I don't know but oh in that painting uh it is showing her enjoying the torture of some young woman by her servants in an inner courtyard of one of her castle the naked girls are being drenched with water and allowed to freeze to death in the snow she was a spicy lass and yes Ingrid Pitt's voice was dubbed in this at least for some parts of it she was apparently very mad at director Peter Sasty for this and vowed never to speak to him again and she actually replaced Diana Rigg who turned down the role that would be uh, Game of Thrones own Diana Rigg recently passed away Ingrid Pitt has also said uh, in an interview in 2000 that she thought her acting in this film was some of her best work but it was with reservations when asked what those reservations were, she said, I'm not ecstatic about the fact that they dubbed my voice uh, for no reason. As far as I was concerned, I had done where Eagles dare for MGM vampire lovers and half a dozen American TV series, as well as some minor English language films. And nobody had ever complained. Another thing that didn't go down too well was that they intercut some of my, some of my most dramatic scenes and lost all the power of the performance, but that's probably just me being accuracy. There were cuts requested by the BBFC, but those edits were never made following an appeal by Hammer to the chief censor. They were probably like, hey, you know the scene where she's uh, naked uh, from the uh, the midriff up and uh, covered in blood? Can you cut that? And they're like, fuck no. They said absolutely not. It's kind of like the whole point of the movie. No. The motif in the stonework depicting the dragon coiled around three teeth is actually the actual Bathory family crest. So, like, how how far did they think the whole um, everybody in this movie is fictitious and this is all just, you know, a story and definitely not based on anybody in real life, for sure, 100%. How far did they think that that disclosure, like, that that claim was going to get them? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't seem like we got sued. So, can you sue for like something that's like 250 years ago? That's by the time this movie's being made, or even more? Well, how, how, what's the what's the public domain? <laughs> I mean, I you I know in the UK that they have a lot stronger like defamation laws, um, and. I could see that they may like if like the descendants of her, if they exist, might be able to claim that the movie like damages their reputation somehow. Obviously, nobody went that far and did that, but I could see how somebody, if they really wanted to, could possibly make an argument. It'd be crazy if people started suing about, um, you know, 
really fucking hundreds of years ago historical figures. Like, could you imagine, like, you're reading that there's a lawsuit, the descendants of Abraham Lincoln are like, our great-great-grandfather was not a vampire hunter, damn it. You besmirched his legacy. Um, yeah, that's wild. Thanks to ponder on. Uh, but that's all the odd and interesting facts we have for you tonight. So we're going to go ahead and close the door to the auditorium. But we will find out what it did, maybe. We're going to talk about the release. That's what I can promise you. Let's look at the numbers! Numbers of the Beast. The uh, movie was released um, in London on in uh, January of 1971. Before it was uh, released in general in the UK in February of that year. The budget is estimated to be between 100 to 150,000 pounds, which was uh, kind of like the average for Hammer Horror back then. There's no real um, exact numbers on how much money it made, but it was considered a moderately successful, but not a major hit. So, you know, looks like they at least made a little bit of money on it. They were like Ingrid Pitt, murder, bathtubs of blood, boobs. There's a baseline audience we can guarantee is going to show up. Yeah. If this movie came out in 2024, that would be us. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Well... So that's uh, that that's the opening. That's the release of Countess Dracula. What was the critical reception? All movie has retrospectively called it one of the more underrated films from the latter days of the Hammer Dynasty. The unauthorized history of Hammer Films said that its distinctly anemic bloodlettings failed to lift a rather tiresome court of intrigue. The New York Times considered it better than most in a sea of trashy competition. The direction smooth and pointed with crisp, cutting-edge dialogue. Until the last act where it runs out of gas along with the desperate old woman. David Peary of the Monthly Film Bulletin called the acting extremely poor, but found that the film frequently takes on a nightmare quality, and that Pitt brings to be uh, brings to the part a very potent aura of physical corruption that is especially effective in the transformation sequences. Shouldn't have a ton of legacy. Uh, I there was some merch. I saw there was like a bust that. Uh, maybe trick, excuse me, trick or treat studios or somebody released, um, like a, um, you know, like a, not a marble bust, but you know, collector item of of specifically her in this movie. But otherwise, not really a ton of media came out of this. It's kind of a little hidden gem on the Hammer catalog. So if you would like to own countess dracula in all its glory annie is gonna tell you how uh yes so i assume it was released at some point on vhs uh but i couldn't really don't really have much about that but um it and also that's more just for historical information um but on dvd and blu-ray On DVD in the United States, MGM released uh, this movie along with Vampire Lovers on DVD um, in 2008. And in the 
UK. It was released by Carlton in a box set that also contained uh, Twins of Evil and Vampire Circus, and that came out in 2006. And then on Blu-rays in the U.S., Synapse released a Blu-ray DVD combo pack in 2014, and that featured a brand-new high-definition transfer from the film. And it also included uh, commentary with Ingrid Pitt, so I bet that is probably a riot to watch. And then in the UK, Network On Air released their version in the UK, and that was, that had their own high-definition transfer um, in 2018, and that one included the director's commentary. And then we watched it on Tubi. Yep, on Tubi with ads, as well as Freevee, and I think one of the other ad-supported streaming services. So it, it's out there. For now, as always, card subject to change on where we tell you something streaming, because you know how that shit goes. A couple months, a couple weeks, might be gone. couple days even, never know. But that's going to wrap it up for Countess Dracula. But before we send your ass out the door, we're going to give you our final motherfucking thoughts. Uh, uh, no surprise, my opinion hasn't changed on this movie. As a matter of fact, I only love it more every time I watch it. Uh, quite a fun Hammer movie with just some over-the-top performances, real cheeky behavior, um, a lot of interesting characters, uh, not a, a lot of good guy, bad guy. It's, you know, varying degrees of bad people, really, uh, up until Ilona comes in at the end. Uh, but Ingrid Pitts is such a fucking powerhouse in it. Um, not a lot of gore, but they use it to great effect. And, uh, it, it's just an easy watch, man. And like, this is a movie you can turn on pretty much any time. So yeah, high marks, high, high marks for Countess Dracula. And of course, you know, they just have to throw the forced Countess Dracula at the end, which is really hilarious. Cause like, I, I didn't find this in any of the research, but I did have to wonder, like, and I'd always heard as well that, um, you know, it wasn't originally supposed to be called Countess Dracula. They just kind of threw that on there to sell it as a title. So that was probably like shot very last minute and added in there at the end, which is kind of hilarious. But yeah, love this movie. Check it out. Uh, high, high marks from the Rev. I also um, enjoyed this movie a lot. I thought it was really fun um a definite change of pace from what we've been doing um you know not not really a vampire but still vampire adjacent responsible for a large chunk of the vampire lore that we have today um and not really a story that i mean i know it's been done other times but you don't really get many elizabeth bathory movies coming out um, but yeah, I, uh, I thought that they did a good job of doing the story without making it like super overtly sexual. Like, yeah, obviously there's sex involved, but it's not, it, it was no vampire lovers where it was, you know, just constant, um, almost exploitative in it. Um, they they were, they, they were doing it for a reason every time, you know, she was trying to get that stable back, you know, she wanted them horses um, but yeah, I, I, I would definitely rank this up there with, you know, my favorites from Hammer. Um, and I'll probably, probably keep this one in mind for a while. 
I don't know if she was wanting the horses, but she was definitely wanting a stallion. But, um, but I'm uh, yeah, I enjoyed this one. I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as Vampire Lovers. I think, you know, Hammer definitely is a bit of a formula. We enjoy the formula, but, um, I did like, I think, you know, the production values look pretty good. I thought, you know, we mentioned before great performances, um, fairly good characters, uh, fairly good acting. Um, so I don't really have anything to complain about. The story was just different enough. And, you know, we all love Ingrid Pitt. And I think that was a good supporting cast. So, yeah, I don't know if I would necessarily seek it out to watch again. But if it was on TV or somebody else wanted to watch it, I'd, I'd definitely go for it. I like this movie quite a bit. Um, I said I've seen it quite a few times. You know, you get kind of the best of, of Hammer's non-serious movies with this one. It has all the best elements. You know, of course, the really good sets. The castle looks awesome. Um, you know, you get like a nice blend of characters who um, are all have something a little bit off about them. They're all either, you know, perverts or violent or, you know, just like weird looking. They always do such a great job with the character actors of making everybody look interesting. The, um, you know, it was the classic Hammer movie where the villains are almost always way more interesting than the people that you're supposed to be rooting for. And this movie, you know, you uh, were, if you were me, you were uh, rooting for the accountess the whole time because, you know, you want to look at Ingrid Pitt. So every time she killed a young person, you know, it was cool because then she was Ingrid Pitt again. But, um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a fun movie and, you know, I just got to say, I'm not a tough sell. You give me a scene of, you know, her standing there topless with blood all over. I'm going to buy a ticket to that every single time. Right on. Well, Countess Bathory, may you rest in peace. <laughs> we enjoyed our time with you. Uh, and uh, pretty, pretty high marks all around for Countess Dracula from 1971. Going to jump out of the 70s for a bit next week. I got a kind of funny backstory. We might have mentioned it underhandedly on this. We had a lost episode this season. There was a little technical snafu that uh, actually caused our episode on Dracula Prince of Darkness to be deleted forever from the archives. So that fella's gone, uh, but what we did luck into actually entirely i i don't thank you for listening i suppose uh, because hammer found out we were doing a season on hammer horror and they contacted seeking human victims and asked if we would like to review their brand new 2024 reimagining of dr jekyll and Mr. Hyde called Dr. Jekyll. It'll be available on digital download. March 11th, we are going to have an exclusive advanced review for you coming up here in just a couple of weeks on the show. Um, actually, it'll be next week's episode, but a couple of weeks probably as we record this. So, um, But yes, it, it'll be the very next episode of the show. Uh, very, very cool to be able to present something directly from Hammer. So it'll be a little bit different format. Like it's not, we're not going to have the whole box office numbers. We're not going to have the background. We're going to have reviews. Um, it's basically going to be like the intro where we'll gather some components about the movie. <clears throat> talking about the cast. 
and the shooting dates and whatever we can find about that. And then uh, we'll pretty much jump right into final thoughts. And it'll be a more extended final thoughts with kind of an extended discussion about the movie. But yes, Dr. Jekyll starring Eddie Izzard. I know it's not a vampire movie, but how can you turn down a review of a movie if it comes from Hammer themselves? So that's what we're going to do next week on Seeking Human Victims. This is not a test. This is not a test. Please remain calm. Unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. Seeking human victims.